Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. In this episode, Logan is going to share with us all about how to read an AV quote. I am personally excited about this episode because there's so much that is confusing when it comes to AV quotes. Logan's our expert, so I'm excited to hear, and I hope you are too. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hi friends, Logan Clements here, and this week's episode is going to be just me. You're only going to hear my voice. Mary and I are in a busy fall event season, and so if you haven't listened to it, I highly encourage you to go back to listen to her episode all about how to select a venue. It is filled with such good nuggets. She throws out another template in there, so give it a listen. If you are someone who's picking a venue or part of a committee or thinking about picking a venue, you seriously need to listen to that episode. Now, this episode is a good kind of like one-two punch with her solo episode. Hers is about selecting a venue. And most times when you have an event and you've selected a venue, you then also need to talk about AV or audio visual. Um, And so this week's all about how to read an AV quote. Now, to kind of caveat before we start, I always say that I am not a technical director. I'm a producer, but I am someone who's kind of dived into this niche of production. So anything with a microphone, anything with a stage, that's going to be my jam. And by being in that role a lot, I did kind of learn how to read an AV quote, what to look for. And again, while I say I'm not the technical director, I know enough tech to be dangerous. And so I know what to look for. And so that's kind of the lens I'm going to be coming at for this, for how to read an AV quote. My technical director friends who are listening to this, please don't cringe if you hear me use different terms for things. And I will start with saying you should always have a technical director on your team, but I know that's not always feasible for sometimes the smaller events where you're really relying on your AV production partner or your AV company you hire to be that technical director for you. So that's where it can kind of feel like you're a little blind understanding this whole production process. But for my bigger shows, my ones with large production budgets, it's very often that we will have a technical director you know, at the event agency that I'm working with who is going to be able to be even more dialed in on these quotes. Uh, but I'm the person for some of my clients, some of my folks that, you know, re- they might not have as many resources to be able to hire an additional person. So that sometimes falls on me. And so I guess my first tip for how to read an AV quote before I dive into what an AV quote is, would just be to make sure you stay curious. There are no dumb questions in the event world and particularly in the AV world, but really in the event world. So if you have a question about something, you're going to thank yourself if you actually just ask it and understand what you're paying for, even if you have to go line by line, just to make sure you understand. And maybe for an event where you have a really short timeline and you're really just trying to get things done, you don't have the time for that. But if you have a longer runway or maybe even after the event, if it's helpful to go through and be like, hey, you know, what What did this package actually include or what did this actually mean? Because for me, that's been the helpful part of kind of trying to connect the dots between what's in the quote and then the physical things I see on site. And so I'm very good at then explaining it to my clients of just being like, oh, you want to be able to talk to your virtual audience with your in-person speaker? Well, we need a microphone and we need a microphone that then feeds into a laptop that is going to go to that virtual audience. And those are the pieces that I can hear. But as an, as an event host, you might just be thinking, oh, I just need to talk to someone online. That should just be easy. So what is an AV quote? 
AV stands for audio visual. You might also hear it called production, event production, but this is essentially your video, your audio, your stage, your screens, anything of that sort that's going to be a part of your event. That's what you're going to get a quote for. And so some venues have an in-house AV partner or provider, meaning they have someone who works for them full-time at their venue or maybe a company that they work with frequently. You'll often hear the word Encore is a common in-house provider for a lot of major venues and hotels. Or you might be going to an external provider or an outside provider, so a separate company that maybe works with that venue a lot or has never worked with that venue before, and they're going to provide you a quote for bringing in all of their equipment. So a quote is essentially, it's going to be, should be a PDF. It should be a document. Some people are doing these now online. So you can, it's a live, you can really view it, but I love to download it, make sure I have a PDF of it. And then I love to just mark it up. So if you're a printer person, you like to print it off and mark it up with pencil, or I'll mark it up digitally so I can send it back often with my questions, as I mentioned at the top of this. And cause it's okay to ask questions. Why? Because I guess my second point here is we start so broad of what is an AV quote. Now we say, why do you need to know how to read an AV quote? Well, this is something that I think most event planners or event professionals should know how to do, especially if you're someone who's more in the event planner, event manager, or you're the lead on an event. And that's so that you better understand exactly what you need and then exactly what you're getting uh, for what you need versus just openly accepting whatever quote you get from your AV partner by going, oh, I'm not technical. I trust them. It's whatever. And you don't think about it. You can definitely do that, but I will tell you, you might be getting overcharged for things or getting stuff that you don't actually need or not going to actually use. And that's like a, a niche that I found with some of my clients where I can come in and say, I saved one client $10,000 by reading their AV quote line by line and looking through and essentially saying, you don't need this lighting package. You don't need this other thing. I don't know why they're charging you for this. And we all of a sudden, boom, it was a nonprofit and they had $10,000 back in their pocket that they could then utilize for something else versus spending it on things they don't need. And so while you might not need to remember every single word that I say in this episode today, I'm going to give you some good nuggets, some good tidbits. If this is something you want to add to your event toolkit, or at least please retain my first tip there of just make sure you ask questions because that's something I've seen time and time again when I ask to look at people's old quotes. And there's often, why did we have this in here? And someone says, oh, that's just how we always did it. We never asked questions. All right. So I'm going to break down the key components of audiovisual, of AV. And they're mainly going to be audio, video. And then I would also throw lighting in here. And then I just have a big bucket that says other things. Because as you'll find from a lot of your AV or production partners, and when I'm the production partner for, for someone, I was like, we can do anything, but that doesn't mean it's the right fit for your event. So just the basics with audio. So Mary had a question for me as I was prepping for this episode, because the hard part with AV quotes and just the AV world is there's a lot of terms and there's a lot of terms that people use differently. So her question was, what is the difference between audio versus sound on an AV quote? And I got to say, Mary, and if this was someone, a client asking me, I would go, I honestly don't know the difference because I'm looking through some quotes that I have and some will call it audio in their section of their AV quote. Others call it sound. And I haven't seen yet one that calls some parts audio and some parts sound for different sections of their quote. But to me, it's just audio is audio, sound is sound. They're all, they're, they're synonymous to me. So I would use those words interchangeably. Um, and if you're confused, I would ask your vendor because that sounds like a very vendor specific nuance of where they break that out. So audio is going to be anything 
that requires someone to say something and be heard or play something and be heard. And so this is as simple as your most basic setup is probably a microphone and some speakers. You would never have just a microphone and no speakers because if you have a microphone, you need to have something that it plays out of. Some venues have an in-house sound system. So that's usually a caveat of like, okay, I don't need that in my AV quote because the in-house system, we're just going to plug into it. I'll plug these microphones in, you know, bada bing, bada boom. There you go. If you're doing that first example I had about doing a meeting where it's only 20 people in a small boardroom, maybe you don't need a microphone for your in-person attendees, but I had one that I planned and we did need a microphone for the extra, for the virtual attendees. So we didn't need speakers because the room was small enough that they could all hear each other talking. And we did this very DIY. And so we literally just used a laptop, the built-in mic from the laptop for, and we had the speakers sit in front of that one laptop every time they were presenting. Now this worked okay. You know, it got the job done. It made this board meeting that was supposed to happen, happen. Was it high quality? Probably not. And it was a little clunky. It'd be helpful if we had actual microphones on the table so that folks could hear everyone at the table at all one, at one time. Um, but we made it work. And so anytime you have anyone who needs to hear something, you need speakers and you need microphones. Now, the key difference is there's de many different kinds of microphones that you can get for your event. Your most common ones are probably going to be a wired microphone. So that's the microphone that has the wire that actually comes out the end of it and a wireless microphone. And so this is the one that doesn't have a wire and you can actually walk around. You don't have a big cable following you. Those are what I would say are the two most common. And then at events, we can get fancier and fancier. So we all probably have heard of a lavalier mic or a lav mic or lav if you're feeling very formal. Um, and those are the ones that kind of clip onto your shirt or your jacket or your blazer. Um, and those usually come with then a wireless pack, a battery pack and a transmitter that you can put on your pants or in your pocket. Um, and then there's all different kinds. I think the other one, the headset mic is what I call them. It kind of looks like the 90s pop stars, but not so big of a microphone. It's a smaller one. They've made them very discreet these days. That's what my big CEOs for my big sales conferences for corporate clients, that's what they use are these headset mics. Those are also wireless. Um, but most of my clients I find end up either using a lav mic, a wired mic, or a wireless. And so some of the key differences, a wired mic is just going to be your most reliable. Why is that? Because anything wireless, you're going to need a signal off of. And as we've learned, cell phones, the number of people, if you ever go to a football game and you have trouble getting text messages because there's so many people in one space, it's your cell service isn't working. Well, that's what can happen with your microphones. I'm not saying that would happen for a 200 or 300 person event in a, in a conference room, you know, a conference space at a, at a venue. But the bigger your event, the more interference you're probably going to have. And so a wired connection is going to be more reliable because it's a cable going into your microphone, cable going into the soundboard. You know, there's no way for interference there unless you have a cable issue. So wired is your most reliable. Wireless is the most convenient, right? Your host wants to walk around the stage, your MC, your auctioneer, your panelists. It's a lot easier for all of them to have wireless mics. So when I, my preference is always that I would either have wireless or lav mics. If I know my speakers are kind of like me, you can see I like to use my hands a lot. So wireless isn't as convenient, but a lav mic is nice and convenient. So I would prefer a lav mic with wireless as backup. And then for some of my larger sporting events, and just in general, it's really helpful to have at least one wired mic as your absolute backup of the backup. Um, but any of these kinds of mics, you can make it work for your event. It just needs to kind of be catered to your needs. So that's audio. For microphones, I think are the big ones we notice. Sound, sound systems. Again, that really depends on the size of the room, the size of your audience, 
the space you're in for how many speakers you need. A big thing, I guess, I could, another pro tip from the top I should have started with about asking questions. And my second would make sure that you're very specific about what you need from your AV provider. And maybe you don't know the exact number of microphones or speakers. That's what you do rely on them to kind of guide you in that way. But you need to then be as upfront as you can with exactly what you think you're going to want to do by saying, okay, I think I'm going to have a gala, a luncheon. And I think we're going to have a couple of speakers one at a time. And then I'm going to have a panel with a couple of people for a panel. And I want to show a video. And, oh, yeah, we're going to have slides that we want to see slides. And uh, the speakers, I think they're going to, you know, click their own slides through. And, and uh, oh, and we want to record it. So, yeah, we need some. Yeah, we want to record it. And, okay, so now if I was listening to all of that, I'm like, okay, I hear that multiple speakers. Okay, you probably need a podium. So you got a podium mic. You got a panel. You probably need a couple of handhelds or lavalier mics. You want to play a video. Okay, we need video equipment and projectors or LED boards. Up, oh, you're going to record it too. Okay, so we need cameras, camera operators, lighting even now if I know you're going to record it. So that's where you can see how my brain goes. So the more you, detail that you can give, the more specific they can get, including also saying it's about 100 people, 150 people. Here's the space. Most AV providers want a, they'd love a floor plan of the space to even make your quote would be the most helpful. So you get the most accurate quote versus then them seeing the space going, oh, we can't use this sound system. We have to use this other one. And all of a sudden it's more than what you budgeted for. That's my kind of aside in the middle there, <laughs> jumping around a bit. But anyway, another part of key components of AV, I talked about audio. Another one would be video. So again, this could fall under recording, as I just kind of mentioned, if you want your event recorded, you would need cameras. Um, you would probably also then need a camera operator to run that camera. And you would also need, if you want to have any slides or visuals in your room, you're going to need a projection screen, which then you need a projector, or you need an LED board. Um, LED board is kind of just making like a giant TV. Those are becoming more the norm, I feel like, in my higher budget shows. But a lot of venues I know still have projectors built in and things like that that are easier to use. And then on the smaller side, if you have a smaller event, this could even be a monitor, which is just like a TV. Many different things would be your video. Um, and then and that also includes the supporting equipment. So that's just what the attendees see. But then behind the scenes, you would also need you know, laptops and a switcher, which I've had, I'll link to a video I did for YouTube all about what is a switcher. It's a magical piece of equipment that helps you switch, go between different inputs. So it means you can very quickly go from a slides to a video seamlessly because, you know, we've all been on Zoom and we've tried it ourselves and it's not so seamless. We can see ourselves clicking. That's what a switcher does. It enables you to have a logo on the screen that covers up you opening new slides on the laptop or getting ready to press play on a video, or maybe you want your camera feed. It's not just for recording. It's also to magnify the image of the speaker on the screen. So you can switch between those things. So you would need a piece of equipment called a switcher. You'd also need a person to operate that switcher. And then the number of laptops and things depends on how many different graphics that you're planning on having. If you're just having videos and PowerPoints, you can sometimes get it all done on one machine. If you have notes as well, if you need a confidence monitor or a notes monitor at the front of the stage for your speakers to be able to look at their notes, that potentially could need another laptop. So I hope your head's not spinning too much, listeners. This is just where things can kind of spiral. Once you need one thing, it can mean you need five different pieces of equipment to actually make that thing happen. So that's kind of an overview for audio, video. I feel like I talked about some of the behind the scenes of video. Audio would also have that. The more mics you have, 
You probably need an audio mixer where it brings all those microphone feeds into one place so that we can make sure they're nice and balanced, no matter if Jill is louder than Cheyenne. You know, we can make sure we have that audio balanced and you need someone to operate that to make sure your audio is nice and balanced. Um, but audio, video, last one I would say to really call it is lighting. So this is something a lot of people I feel like forget about because they see their space and whether it has big, beautiful windows or it's a little, a little darker if it's an older ballroom with no windows. And, you know, they're thinking about these, the just the how the attendees might feel walking in. And they're not necessarily thinking about, okay, can we turn the lights off? Can we dim the lights? Can we control what parts of the room are lit? Because if you have a stage and you want to make sure that everyone's paying attention to the stage, it's always nice to have some good stage lighting. Again, not always in the budget for everybody, um, but you want to make sure that you have some lighting there, especially if you're doing a recording, because you're going to need lights to help balance people's complexion for the cameras and everything. And so one of the questions I know I get sometimes is like, what are the different, what's rigging? <laughs> um, rigging would be if you're going to actually then hang anything from the ceiling. If you go to concerts or if you go to events, you'll see rigging. It's usually big silver poles um, and they're trusses, which is essentially these support trusses that you can see me, I'm using my hands. It kind of looks like, I don't know, Lincoln logs is not the right term, but they're essentially like big poles that you can then mount lights to, we can mount sound to. And a lot of venues, especially the newer ones, will have rigging points in their ceiling that you can attach to. Now, rigging and a truss, all of that, that's expensive. So some of, a lot of my clients that don't have many resources cannot afford rigging. Why is it so expensive? Because anytime you're going to hang something from a high spot where it has the chance of falling or your person installing it is going to be at quite high heights, it's just expensive. It's, it's a little more dangerous to install. And so there's a risk involved with it. And so there's increased costs. There's also, you have to be pretty specialized for being able to install that stuff. It's not just anybody. I can't just go and install rigging. Um, so there's just a lot big longer of a process that goes into it. I'm not totally clear about the insurance part that you need. I feel like that's usually worked out with the venue in a separate contract, but we just know, Hey, yes, we can bring in rigging. Here's what it'll cost. And so you'll pro often find if you're asking for rigging, it's going to be a big price jump from not having rigging. So just know the difference of why it's so expensive. Um, some venues, because if they have certain built-in elements, they might already have trusses in their venue and lights already set up. And it's just an added fee for you to utilize their lights. And that's sometimes a cost savings for you because then you don't have to do all that bringing your own rigging. Another point with rigging and lighting is rigging often takes a long time for installing. So when you're thinking about your schedule, if you know you're going to have rigging and extensive lights, you're probably going to need more time for load-in than if you're just going to utilize the built-in lights that are already there or maybe some spotlights that are just on stands. The, the bonus of rigging, I guess the nice part is because it's flown in the air, it's not as noticeable to attendees. It's not like a pole that's in their way. You know, it's, it's a little more subtle. They don't really look up and look at all of those things. And it just gives you more freedom with where you position lights, where you position sound. You can be more strategic. So, like, there's a lot of creativity you can have with it. But if you're very budget conscious, it is, it is expensive. Um, I did have one event talking about sound, I guess, kind of with rigging, um, where we had some sound challenges in a room. And it was two breakout rooms with an air wall in the middle. An air wall is a wall that, you know, you can move. So you can collapse it and make this these two smaller rooms into one big room. And really, they were honestly two big rooms that we turned into a giant room last minute because the client wanted to accommodate a larger size group. 
So we did it. The hard part was when we did our AV quote and our production budget and everything, we had budgeted for a specific sound system to fit the two rooms as two separate smaller rooms. Well, when we combined everybody, we didn't have any rigging in there. We didn't have any trusses. We didn't have anything. It was just speakers on stands throughout the room. Um, but again, we were planning on having this air wall. So we removed the air wall. We combined the rooms. During the event, we had some notes from our attendees. We had some comments from them saying it was kind of hard to hear in the center of the room. And it's one of those things where you're like, well, they're the center of the room. That should be actually the best place to hear. But if you look around at where we'd place the speakers, all the speakers were around the perimeter of the room because the center of the room was supposed to have an air wall, which an air wall is going to let more sound through it than a solid wall. So you don't really want a speaker right next to an air wall. And this was a quick transition. So we didn't have time to necessarily move all our speakers and then move them all back. So it was one of those negatives, I would guess, of, of us changing our plan because client needed us to accommodate a larger group. And we pushed through and it was fine. But I asked my technical director afterward, I was like, what could we have done if we had known this ahead of time? And this is where he had recommended having speaker stacks. And so speaker stacks, you might see these at, I feel like I see these at sporting events all the time, um, but it's kind of what it sounds like. It's speakers stacked on top of each other. You'll see them at concerts, at sporting events, and they're on the ground. So you actually don't need to hang them or put them, you know, rigging or anything. You will hear about some speaker stacks that can be flown. Flown means they're on rigging, hanging above everybody. Um, but you could do speaker stacks and that would have probably balanced the audio more. But again, it was something we hadn't planned for. So just make sure you really talk through your sound needs, the layout, how many people in the room, the space of the room, because that'll make sure that you have the right audio, the right video, and the right lighting for your event. Hey there, friend. Are you wondering how you can get more awesome content from Mary and I and the Better Events podcast community? Or maybe you've been loving what we talk about with community over competition, and you really want to figure out how you can connect with other event pros? Well, Mary and I are going to be hosting the Better Events conference in December this year, December 20th. And we're so excited because we launched our early bird ticket sales, and you can take advantage of this special pricing all the way up through the end of this month in October. Hurry, run, don't walk. We've got a really cool general admission offer, but we also then have a fun friend of the pod VIP offer that just involves a little more higher touch experience with Mary and I, but we've got something for you. We even have student tickets. If you are someone who is currently studying and looking to maybe invest a little less, but still want to join us, we've got a ticket for you. Again, we're just so excited if you can't hear it in my voice or see it on my video on our YouTube. I, I This has been so exciting to put this together and start to see people already purchasing tickets, investing in themselves, because we are going to have a magical day on Wednesday, December 20th, where we all are going to get to meet each other, connect with each other, and all learn about how we can create and host better events in 2024 so that you can make next year the best year ever. So click the link in our show notes, go over to our social media, our Instagram's probably our most active get your tickets. We cannot wait to meet you. Now, some other fun things that you can get out of your AV production partner um, is some of them will provide draping. So if you like that, we call it pipe and drape um, because it's pipes and drape. And honestly, I can't, I can't tell you where I learned the term pipe and drape, but I learned it when I worked in catering in college. Um, some pipe and drape, and it's just poles with stands and that drapery. You can have it usually all black is a common stage backdrop, but you can have it in all white. Sometimes they have different colors, uh, but all black is probably the most common and you you would rent it by the foot so or by 10 feet for them to put up. Um, so your AV production partner can always, often provide that. 
Um, you can also get comm systems. Those are really important. So these are the headsets. I take lots of photos in my headset for me being on site. They can be as simple as walkie-talkies, as complex as a multi-channeled radio headset comm system. Um, but that's something else to talk about is thinking about how do you talk to your AV team? If you only have one person on your AV team for a smaller project, maybe you don't need a comm system because it's just you, the producer, or you, the event host, and your AV person. Maybe you don't need comms, but if at any time you're going to be on the other side of the room or over here somewhere, you're going to need comms of some form. So often they have walkie-talkies or headsets or things that you can rent. Or again, I've talked about Unity on this podcast before. That's an app where you utilize your phone, um, but just some comm systems. You can also, for some, they'll rent podiums or they'll rent furniture. Not everyone does this, just some, and it's worth asking like, hey, what else can you guys provide if it's easier for you to get it all from the same person? They also have easels and some other, other fun things. Now, one of the things that I always want to advise folks to ask about, because this is something that every vendor is different, is to talk about what things are bundled together. So some quotes will just say Pro projector bundle. And I will tell you right now, as someone who's seen tons of quotes, I would still ask them, hey, in a call, probably, if they can't answer on email, what's in your production bundle? Do you mind just listing it out for me so I know? You know, is it the projector, the projection screen, the HDMI cable to feed it into a can't feed it into a laptop, the power for the projector and everything? Because here's where AV quotes can get a little tricky is a lot of times they will either bundle things and it's not clear what's included because they want to keep it simple for you. And then I've had others that they line item everything out, including exactly how many power strips, you know, like the power strips with lots of plugs on them, how many power strips you will use. I had a client get charged like $125 per day per power strip that they wanted to rent. Now you'd say, that's crazy, Logan. I can go buy a power strip for probably $10. Well, it wasn't really you're renting the power strip. You're renting the power that also comes off the power strip. And because the provider or the venue does not know exactly how much you're going to be using, they're just going to charge you a flat fee to kind of hedge their bet, probably knowing you're only going to use it to charge a laptop or something like that. But they don't know. You could be running a screen off of it. So anyway, it's worth asking about power strips. HDMI cables, you will find often uh, a line item for expendables. And this is usually like tape. A good AV vendor will tape down all cables everywhere just for safety, unless it's like a bundle of cables that are put away and no one's ever going to walk near them, but they would tape them down. And some other random like bits and bobs that they are just going to use at an event. And then you can't really reuse tape. Once you've used tape, you throw it away. So they usually have a little bit of a surcharge for that. I've seen that get a little crazy when it's just a percentage. That's how they calculate it versus a flat rate. And that's a place that I've saved some money for some clients of just kind of pushing back of like, do we really think we're going to use $500 worth of expendables on this one ballroom for this two-day conference? And I've seen a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of savings. Um, and so that's kind of helpful. Some vendors will actually give you a discount sometimes if you're packaging a bunch of things together versus pricing them out individually. But that kind of comes back to my, my number two biggest point from this episode for you to know is the more you can say about your event ahead of time will help you accurately get a quote. And listeners, I am just like you where I'm sometimes even an event I've done three years in a row, I'll catch myself thinking I said everything I needed to say to the AV vendor. And then I'm still sending them an email going, oh yeah. And and I do need a clicker because I want to make sure we can advance our own slides. Or, oh, yeah, I need another monitor for the side room so this part of the audience can make sure that they can see the slides because they have an impeded view, impen 
because they don't have a clear view of the screen. So one thing I found that's helpful is making sure you first, before you even talk to your AV vendor, like sit down and think about these categories of just audio, video, lighting. And if you don't even know the equipment, just make sure you know what you, what you want. What are your priorities? And make sure you list those out and bullet those out. And who needs to talk to who? How many people are presenting? How many mics? Is it hybrid? Is it virtual? I mean, that could be a whole nother episode talking about how to do things virtually because that involves more equipment and internet then comes into play, as you all know from our episodes about Zoom and things like that. Whew. I feel like I could keep going on and on and on. Another big, two other big parts I wanted to talk about in this episode, so it's going to make me run a little longer than our normal, would be labor. So with AV, you're going to need a lot of operators. You're going to need technicians, techs. They have Everyone has different names for it. But to do all of those things that I listed earlier, of all the different pieces that could be in your AV quote, most pieces you need an operator. So if you have audio, you're going to need an audio operator or what some people call an A1. You sometimes will see it called A1 or an A2. And why do you need both? Well, the concept of an A1 and A2, uh, which again, audio technical directors, I'm sorry, but I'll, in my layman's terms, I always say A1 that's going to be your more experienced person. That's going to be the person who is behind your mixing board, your sound board, where all of your inputs are coming in. If you have a DJ or you're just playing a playlist, your music comes in and they are balancing the audio to make sure no one sounds too much loud, too louder than anybody. They're following your script where if you're like, all right, we're building momentum. We're going to be quiet when people come in and we build our volume as we go along. That's your A1. They stay at your tech table and they're watching. They're on the desk. Now, why do you need an A2? If you have an A1, well, your A2, just think of them as like the legs of your A1 because your A1 needs to stay at the desk. The A2 can actually walk around and check to make sure does the sound sound balanced in the space. Your A2 can help mic up your speakers, especially if you're using a wireless mic, a lav mic or a headset mic, which is even more complicated. They're the ones putting the microphone on the speaker, making sure it looks like it's, it's on, the batteries are charged, everything looks great. That's your A2 or cable breaks or something. That's your A2 can go out and solve that while your A1 is still at the mixing board. Now, do you need an A1 and an A2 at every event? No, you do not. Your smaller events, you might be able to handle just one audio person, one person mixing. That's okay. The bigger the show, the more speakers, the more higher stakes and important your show, your program is, you should definitely have an A1 and an A2. I promise you'll thank me. Then you also have a video director or a video operator usually, or a video director. I'm on a project right now where I have both. And the operator is the one who's actually operating the laptop that switches the graphics we have with the videos, the PowerPoints. They're switching all of those. They're switching between all of those things on their device, usually a laptop. Then the video director is the one who's actually controlling the switcher. And sometimes, again, I've heard that person call a switcher. So again, these terms are all interchangeable, but that person's controlling what actually goes out on the screens. So they would be helping work with the camera operators. They're working with your video operator and they're controlling what we all see. Now, you also sometimes see a V1 and V2. And I kind of describe those just like I did A1 and A2. Again, a V1 is probably going to be here at the table. They're your main person. And the V2 could kind of run around to troubleshoot different things with the video. Maybe you don't have manned cameras. You just have cameras on tripods. So they'll be able to run around and just adjust those, make sure they all look good. They can fix a cable that's out of place. It just gives you kind of like a backup person, another set of hands to help you with that part of your production versus relying on your primary person. 
For lighting, if you have any kind of lighting cues, like spotlights that follow, moving lights, anything that you want to do at a specific time, you probably need a lighting operator who's going to be able to program and operate the lights how you like them. Um, but I will say you sometimes can have somebody who does all three of these things. If you have a very basic show, you're it's mainly a speaker with slides and a, and a microphone or a couple speakers and slides, but it's one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one. maybe you only need one operator. Now, the challenge with that is your one operator probably is stronger in one of those categories. They're stronger in audio, not so much in video, maybe not a lot in lighting, or pick any of those categories. Where that's good is you've saved money because each person you add to your crew is going to cost you more money per day that you're doing an event per day that you're doing rehearsals, per day that you're doing load-ins, but then you're not going to be necessarily getting the expert to help you in that area. And that's something I found. It's really hard to be the expert across all of these things. So I'm not, again, this is nothing against operators. It's just more the model that I've seen some AV companies and production companies go is they've learned that they can, they can train people kind of on the basics of everything, and then they can kind of figure it out as they go. So if you really want specialized people having those different delineated individual roles, you're going to get the best of the best, or at least folks who have very a lot of experience in that one area, versus if you get somebody who does all of them, I've just found it's really hit or miss. Some people really know their stuff, and some people are kind of beginners. And with COVID, we lost a lot of folks who had a lot of experience in the event industry, specifically in event production, I've noticed. So I either now I'm working with folks who have been around the block and been here working for 30 plus years, or I'm working with someone who maybe only just started a couple years ago. So it's, it's tough. Um, and then another role you'll see on your labor part of your quote will often be a project manager or a show manager for your AV company. This one is really vague, I will say, and it's kind of vague on purpose because every company is different. Some, they use that role to just kind of manage, bill the amount of time that they're going to spend going back and forth with you on your quote deciding what you need, all the lead up stuff before you get on site. Other times it truly is a lead person when they're on site managing the crew and being there to help make sure stuff is getting set up. And maybe they are the more expert, uh, they have more expertise on production so they can kind of jump in to help the folks who don't have as much experience. Um, it's often that role is non-negotiable, I found, especially if you have a crew that's larger than two people, they often will also then have a project manager. And you can't really talk that down because they do end up needing it. Um, I've just noticed sometimes some project managers are more involved than others. So it's helpful just to kind of get the lay of the land before you before you go on site. So with, lay with labor too, I think another few things like talking about overtime, most crews, it's a 10-hour day is included in your quote. Again, a question to ask as you look at your quote. So knowing what it means if you go 10 and a half hours, if you go 11 hours and what that implies. Overtime usually kicks in after 10 hours, sometimes double time. Overtime is time and a half, so 1.5 times their hourly rate. And then 12 hours would be double time for some folks. So that's where you end 2x, two times their hourly rate. So this is something that can kill some clients who have really long shows multiple days in a row that are just really long days. I find it's a good, actually a pretty good policy to keep you from making your crew too tired because a tired crew can make mistakes. So just something to think about with your days. Um, and then just making sure that you think about how your schedule, your event schedule is going to impact your AV quote. So one thing that I see with my clients is sometimes they will schedule a general session is what I would call it, is where everybody at the conference is all together at once. They'll do it in the morning. And then they want to send people to breakouts. 
but then they want to bring everybody back together for another general session, but not until like 5 p.m. Well, while that sounds great because you're like, oh, I bring everyone together, we break out, we come back together. That's a great kind of idea of a flow of an agenda. But from a budgetary perspective for production, you're going to spend a lot of money on not a lot of showtime because you're going to have to pay that crew to come in ahead of that early mor of that morning session of that general session. Then your crew's going to kind of be sitting around. They're going to rehearse probably and make sure everything's good to go, but they're not going to be as utilized as they could be because all of your attendees are in breakouts. And then all of a sudden they come back and we have, and then you need them again for the end of the day session. I've had some clients where this is unavoidable. They just, they value the agenda over the budget savings of, you know, being a little bit more strategic with when they do general sessions. Like if you wanted to be more strategic, you would do your general sessions in the morning, be done. The rest is breakouts. So your crew has that 10 hour day or less than that or whatever it is. Um, one main thing I would say, if you do have a big block of time where one of your crews, your general session or your breakouts or anybody isn't doing anything, you can often try to fill that time with rehearsal time. So whether that's internal rehearsal where you're just going through the tech side of it of like, okay, we show this video, then we show this slide. Or if you wanted it to be speaker rehearsal time where you actually bring the speaker in, mic them up, put them on stage, teach them where they need to walk and go and all of those things. That's a good time for that too. Again, hurdle has been, I've had that my speakers want to be in the breakouts, so they don't want to rehearse while the breakout's happening. And then our crew just does a bunch of tech rehearsals and then has coffee and, and waits for the general session to come back. So Something to think about for how you schedule your crew and just make sure you're making the most of your time with them if that if budget is a big concern for you. And then my last part of labor would be talking about breakout sessions. When you have breakout sessions, you'll often have a screen and a projector or you have uh, you know, a monitor if they're really small breakouts. And usually the speaker is just, if breakouts I think of could be small, like 20 people, Anything over 50, I would recommend having a microphone. That's just my personal recommendation. But what I've often seen with breakouts is you won't have a tech person or an AV person in every single room. It's just too expensive for a lot of folks. And so what I would encourage is to have floaters. And so some people, it's like they're going to tell you, some AV companies might tell you, no, you need one per room. Mm, again, depends on what your setup is and what your priorities are. Most often I would have one tech for every three rooms or so, or even four rooms, especially if they're quite small. Um, the big thing that I go through is I would say, ask the AV company, what's, here's the number of breakout rooms I have. I have th 30 happening at once concurrently. How many techs do you recommend? And then they'll give you a number and you can say, okay, so, you know, say they come back and they say, okay, I want, I think you should have eight. And you're like, okay, eight techs for 30 rooms. Yeah, okay, that's one tech for every three to four rooms. That seems kind of, that's pretty reasonable. But then you go, maybe I want to save some money. Maybe we could do it down to four techs. Now, some companies might put their foot down and say, we won't let, we won't support this unless you give us, you let, unless it's staffed by X people. I haven't had that happen before. I've just had some very reluctant project managers. Um, and I think I had, last time I had 25 breakout rooms and I had, three floating techs. And that mainly was why I chose three was we had three different spaces at this venue that was quite large. And so it would just be one floating tech per space that kind of was just going to hang out in the hallway at a, at a table and just wait for if a speaker poked their head out the door or we gave them a text because we heard via text that somebody was having issues. And that worked out for us just having three. Now, I would make sure that you talk through if you're the if you're the middle person, talk through with your end client some scenarios 
Like if I only have one tech for eight rooms and three rooms have problems all at the same time, I only have one person. So that one person's going to have to triage and just go to the first room, help them, second room, help them. By the time they get to the third room, they might have been waiting for 10 minutes. And if we're okay with that, then you can go with less people. If you have more people, you can react faster. So that's why you're probably going to have a lot of AV companies tell you, oh, just do one per breakout room because then you would have instantaneous help, which is a good thing but not necessarily a requirement, I would say. So it depends on what your what your goals are, how complex your tech setup is, and just how quickly you think you would need to react to know how many floaters to have for breakouts. Whew, yeah, this was a long one. I'm so thankful for you sticking with me. If you have for how my tips for how to read an AV quote, I'll end you with a few. We normally do a bonus tip that is unrelated to this episode, but I'm going to theme it to this episode because my bonus tip this week is to look out for my red flags on your AV quote. And the main thing would be to make sure if you are a nonprofit, ask if they have a nonprofit discount, especially if it's in an in-venue provider like an Encore or some other company they will most likely honor a nonprofit discount. Not usually, it doesn't come off the labor, but they will often give you a discount on the equipment itself. So make sure you ask. It's not rude to ask. They kind of, they expect it. Margins are padded to expect that from nonprofits. And then my second red flag to look out for is with your labor, just make sure you're not getting charged twice if your load-in is the same as your day one. So if you're Loading in that day, setting everything up that day, and having your event, just double check your 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 day counts to make sure you're not getting double charged, charged for two days when that person really has only worked one day. Again, there might be overtime in there if it's a really long day, but you shouldn't be charged two. That's really honestly where, where I feel like I've seen red flags with some where, again, it's not necessarily a reflection of a good or bad AV partner. Sometimes it could just be the person who made the quote was moving too quickly and made a mistake. But often, if you just agree to a quote, they're not going to go back and double check. That'll just be extra money that they'll probably make out of it. So make sure you check. Hopefully, you learned something here about how to read an AV quote. Again, I probably could do a part two to this. I uh, I definitely have been trying to get some other technical folks here on the podcast. So keep an eye out for those episodes dropping next year in season four of the podcast, because I feel like this is an area of production and tech that a lot of event pros kind of wring their hands at and get stressed out about. So the more information we all have and the more questions we all ask, the better informed we all will be. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And as always, you can connect with Mary or I directly on LinkedIn. We love hearing from you. And a reminder, we are hosting the Better Events Conference this year. It's Wednesday, December 20th. It's virtual. We highly encourage you to be there. Early bird ticket sales just ended, but you can still buy your regular price ticket. So we hope you join us. We are offering a friend of the pod version that's going to include some time with Mary and I, some one-on-one -on -one time. We have a general admission ticket, and we also have a ticket for students. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in your feeds again next Wednesday. 